Welcome to Reciprocity Podcast, where we discuss the backstories and strategies of photojournalists, sports photographers, documentary filmmakers, and photo editors. Now, here's your host, Brett Carlson. Hey, what's up? We are back with another episode. If my scheduling is right, this will be your third episode in three weeks, which is pretty rare for this podcast, so I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, today, we have easily our furthest away guest ever, uh, and that is Richie Dobson from Sydney, Australia. He works at The Telegraph there. It's a newspaper, um, and I met him in Las Vegas a few years back, so we're actually been face-to-face friends before internet friends, which is pretty uncommon these days, and uh, I was really excited to have him on, and uh, we're kind of doing the nighttime morning swap here, so uh, Richie, how's your morning going, man? <laughs> It's been pretty good, mate. It's uh, it's it's a beautiful day outside, which has actually been quite rare because we've had terrible, terrible weather on the east coast here. I don't know whether you you might have actually heard a little bit about some of the floods that they've been getting. We're just incredible amounts of rain, just so much rain, and. Um, you know, what, 20, what is it, 2019, 2020, there was the terrible fires, and now 2022, we've got these crazy floods. It's, uh, yeah, it's mental. There's no, there's, no, there's no end to this extreme weather. It has been crazy weather-wise, because you guys got that, like, crazy pounding flooding, and then I looked at it, and a lot of people passed away, and then I looked at it, though, and the floods I have covered recently even more people passed away, which is not a contest, but it's like shows you in perspective, like how crazy it's been. Yeah. People underestimate the flood stuff. You know, the people think they can still kind of operate as a normal, even just because it's raining. I don't know. It's really weird. Like so most of the people that seem to, to lose their lives in this stuff are just people that just drive, like they're trying to get on with their lives throughout the rain. They drive through flood water and they get washed away because they just don't, they underestimate this, how strong the flood waters are, how deep they are. And um, yeah, there's so, so many stories of of people just thinking that oh yeah, the car will make it, and um, yeah, it just doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it's it's similar here. We had one last year, and uh, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and Waverly, Tennessee, about hour or two hours west of here, and that one, uh, like a pot, like debris had blocked a bridge, so no water was going, and it broke. And then just like everybody was out kind of some people were out like in the front yards, like checking out the water because it had raised a little bit. And then all of a sudden, just like a literal wall of water came in and like ripped them away. But in other ones I've covered, it's the same stuff where it's like, yeah, I'll just make it across this. And then all of a sudden your cars in six feet of water tumbling through and the car, it doesn't stay upright. I mean, you see these cars that later that are like upside down and in trees and stuff. It's so crazy. I was um, talking to a mate the other day and we were just talking about covering these things. And um, I'll tell you what, the thing is with with the flood stuff is that it just, the aftermath is just so grotty as well. It's just, you know, it's the stinky and it's the water is polluted and it's bad. It's horrific on your gear. Like these, like I've just had to. I'm not popular with uh, with my boss at the moment because one of my one of my cameras failed, so I've had to take that into to Canon to get fixed. And um, whereas you know the like the bushfire stuff is it's um it's just as dangerous, if not more dangerous. But um, there's something. I mean, it just once a bushfire goes through, it's sort of it just cleanses everything. You know what I mean? There's nothing yeah. left. And, um, yeah. that's almost easier for people. Not, and I, and I don't take, I'm, I'm not wanting to take anything away from the devastation that people feel when they've lost everything, but there's something about the pictures of people standing 
in their still standing house, but that has just been up to the ceilings with water and just the just everything left around them. It's just this damp, disgusting flood water mess that's left. Whereas you know the the, the bushfire stuff is just like the person standing there and everything's gone. And it's like, well, we just have to start again. But it's you know what I mean. It's like, oh god. Yeah, there's no, there's, neither of them are great, but I kind of feel like I'd rather be, I'd rather be left with the charred remains than, yeah, uh, than. I think it's like that, like it's like the band aid gets ripped off. Like anytime you're standing in a flood yeah. damaged area, it's like you you can just look at it and see, like, wow, I'm gonna have weeks or months of cleanup. Yeah. And I, I've just stood in so many houses with people, and they're just like utterly broken looking at mm. how much stuff they have to do yeah and and because it's like it's still standing it's still there or mm. or you know like they, they just now have to clean out every yeah. belonging they have that's covered in mud and I, I agree with what you're saying though it's just like that neither one is good but i definitely maybe it's mentally easier to deal with the fact that like assuming you don't have death like looking at your house if it just is gone yeah then you go okay totally I, rebuilt. I rebuilt yeah i rebuild yeah and but i mean the sad thing is that um so many of these areas where this stuff has gone through with the flood and the fire, uh, people can't afford the insurance, you know, especially flood insurance. is like, re- it's really expensive. If you live like these people that lived in a place, a place called Lismore, which is Northern New South Wales, where the state that I live in, and they just, they can't afford the, they can't afford the insurance. And even out a little bit West of where I am, like you, you just go an hour and a half West and there's a, there's a, um, there's a dam that often overflows and it feeds into this river that, that in the last couple of years has flooded, you know, a lot. Uh, but those people live out live out west there because the housing is more affordable, um, and they they, they don't have a lot of money still, and so they can't yeah. afford the insurance because insurance companies can't they charge so much for flood insurance because it ha- they know that it happens. So that when they lose everything, they can't even they can't get it. You know, they can't. Yeah, I. Here, I don't hundred percent know how it works, but I know it's like one of those things that it's like required if you're in a place where, or like insurance won't cover a flood if you're in a floodplain and you don't yeah, have yeah. flood insurance kind of thing. And it yeah. it gets complicated. And 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 I know this particular one I covered last year. It was just it was hit areas that never flooded, you know, because mm. the thing broke and like went. It was like so much water at once. It wasn't like a normal rise of the creek mm. and a river and everything. Anyways, uh, we could probably talk about that for a week. Um, so you are in Australia and you work for the newspaper there and it is such a, such a normal thing here, but I'm curious how life is there working for a newspaper. And I I know you haven't worked in an American newspaper, at least I don't think you have, but like, how is the newspaper world there? What is like your staff? Like how many people are there? Like, uh, you know, all those things, I guess, that just the brass tacks of working at a paper. Because here, it has been gutted, and you know, most papers have like a couple people, and you know, it's it's pretty stripped down. That's pretty much what's happened here as well. To be fair, it's um, I mean, when I started, so I've been at the Telegraph now since two thousand and four, so it's okay. quite a while. It's like that's good few years, isn't it? And yeah. and when I started there, they had. But there was a staff e- easily. There was like probably like twenty guys. There's probably twenty guys and girls. So you know that they had to choose from, and and they'd be doing a job a day. You know sometimes. You know what I mean. And it was just uh, and there was two separate. So there's a daily Telegraph that I work for, and then there's the Sunday Telegraph, which is like you know just it's more it's got more 
lift outs and extra features and stuff like that. So like a bigger paper and it's that's a classic like it's a classic thing on a Sunday. It's just it's bred into people to go down to the corner store on a Sunday morning, get their coffee, and you get you get the, the Sunday Telegraph and you get the um the Sunday the edition of the Sydney Morning Herald. So there's basically two papers in Sydney, the Sydney Morning Herald and the Daily Telegraph. And they they're right. just kind of constantly kind of butting heads pretty much there. So um and yeah, so there, you know, there was a decent, there was a decent staff, and then just over the last few years, they've just kept, you know, whittling away and getting rid of, uh, getting rid of people, you know, that are surplus to requirements, and it just, you know, it's, which sounds horrible. Like I've listened to a couple of your podcasts, and you know, it sounds like that it's sport. It, it's just it comes down to population as well. Like we just don't have the population that you that you have, and so I mean, oh, you know, yeah. you, listening to you guys, you like you have guys that shoot for 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 just for NFL teams. You know what I mean? And that that's that's a, unheard of here. Like you would never just get a job with even though like our popular sports are NRL, which is National Rugby League, and the AFL, which is Aussie Rules Football, yeah. um, which is like a, a version of Gaelic football, but it's heaps better. And um, but I, those guys would never employ a photographer. It's just not the there's not the the money for it. There's not the the audience for it. So you tend to um, so uh, the, so the Daily Telegraph had about three designated sport photographers, really good photographers, and that was, they just took care of everything. They took care of um, all the the do up stuff, like the portraiture, the stuff leading up to the games, and then they would shoot the games. Um. And yeah, just recently they've just gone. Well, now you need to be able to do everything. And so the sport guys, you know, that were doing only sport for years and years and years, um, they don't want to go out and do, you know, a picture of a mum and a kid for some, you know, crappy story on yeah. something, something or else. Because <laughs> you know, these guys are multiple award-winning sport photographers. And so you totally get it. It's just like oh, they don't, they won't be doing that. And so the payoff, though, was, well, we need people that can do that. And um, so there's no specialist photographers anymore. Um, yeah. And that's, on, and that's with both newspapers. And so we're pretty much down to, I think there's like seven of us left, and that's including the guys, that just two guys that just do the Sunday edition. They don't do a lot yep. of daily stuff. And so, so I suppose, yeah, you've got five guys that, you know, with, you know, days off and holidays and chorus of it, we're on a pretty, you'd have to say it's, it's almost skeleton, you know, because we shoot three jobs a day, all of us, sometimes four jobs a day. So that with travel, cause you know, we're all over Sydney. Um, it's, it's, it, it's busy. It's busy. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds really busy. And yeah. Sydney, Sydney is the biggest city or Melbourne, which, which one? Uh, it's, it's pretty similar, but Sydney probably just, just about, just about gets it. Yeah, and like, what it? What's the scale comparison to like an American city? I mean, it's, uh, Sydney's very big. I thought. Oh Christ! Now you're going to ask me what the um, population of Sydney is. And I, oh, just no, don't I, know. I don't know the population of Nashville, even though I live in. It, so yeah, but it's exactly probably. Oh, geez, I should just know this, shouldn't I? What's our population? Like thirty mil or something like that. I don't know. Whoa, oh, that's yeah. No, no, not not in Sydney. Like Australia. Oh. oh, okay. I was like, whoa. Should Five I Google people? it? Nah, no, no. Okay. Okay. 5.3 million in, no, 2019, 2022. Yeah, we're about 5 million. It's not that's that a, much. That's, I it? mean, that's a pretty big city, though, for five photographers. Yeah. I mean, 
That's yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. So five million amongst you know, and daily stories. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. But you know, they, so they've got a they've set up like a news wire as well. So the, um, there's lots of like uh, freelance guys that are doing guys and girls that are doing um, you know, wire stuff as well. So gotcha. like they they took a lot of a majority of the stuff like the um like the court stuff like standing. So we we find that we're not standing out the front of court for hours and hours waiting for people to come out anymore uh, yeah. which is which 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 those guys tend to do now which is uh thanks guys for doing that because yeah because <laughs> so this allows you and the other staffers to focus more on either bigger events or feature yeah. stories and things like that would be yeah yeah and more yes yeah and the, the stuff that runs sort of up the front of the paper the portraits and the do-ups and yeah stuff like that yeah yeah, so that's actually kind of a blessing then to have the freelancers kind of not not to say they're lesser assignments, but <laughs> kind no, of kind no, of doing the grunt right. work or the you know uh, feed the beast kind of assignments as we would call it. Uh, I know that's what I was told when I first started at Papers. It's feed the beast. We gotta yeah. we gotta make sure we got stuff to print tomorrow. Yeah, and again, to, and then they've ended up with people that they know. There's a group of guys and girls there that, that can just be thrown into any situation and get a frame out of it you know what i mean and it's um that's what you got to be able to do now you got to be able to do everything and i know that's that just takes time that takes time to do it like i'm i'm only getting to the point now i'm 48 i've been there 17 years and now i'm i'm just about getting to the point where i feel i can go can go into any job and get a decent frame out of it yeah it takes a lot I mean, that's like, I, I talk to some people that aren't professional photographers and I always tell them, they're like, yeah, but like, you know, what, what's it like being a professional photographer? And it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's just being able to do a good job every day. Like that's like the difference between a professional and like a, somebody who's a hobbyist, right? Like anybody can go yeah. get a good photograph once in a while. It's like, but a professional has to be able to do that every single day. Like, yeah. And our picture desk is no joke. They will not accept, um, below par. Let's should we say. And, um, that's a learning, that's been a, that's been a learning curve, a steep one too, over the years. It's just like, just cut, just covering all your bases, deeps, wides, different options, three options for every job. So, um, which is hard because you don't often get the opportunity to do that for every job, you know, and you've got to work fast most of the time. I've just, I've just reposted on my Insta a picture and it's a, it's a pretty, <laughs> harrowing kind of uh, memory for me but which is really sad because it was when um dave grohl and um taylor hawkins were in town for and they did an interview um exclusive for the daily telegraph because they had a bit of relationship with the music writer there and it was like and the picture desk rang me and said oh look you know do you want to go shit foo fighters guys and i was like yes absolutely course, like yeah. don't 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 meet your heroes but yes because <laughs> i grew up in the 90s i remember where i was when i heard smells like teen spirit and yeah. dave Grohl's like this awesome you know part of my musical history yes no brainer so I, went, I was super nervous and it's you know unfortunately it's a hotel you know it's a hotel room we get there um the publicist obviously everyone's got their slots half an hour half hour slots and we were like, okay, cool. Um, so the the journo goes first, and then she's sitting on the bed with him and just chatting away and doing the interview. And I'm just like searching around, trying to find something that's going to be decent. 
and I go out into the balcony and there's a plain white wall there and I figured uh, well, that's good for I can just, you know, I could just shoot, maybe I'll just try a little bit of natural light if I can and I'll just get them nice and close together. And da, 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 da. But I wanted to do something. I had this idea and I was looking at the balcony and I thought I'd be kind of cool to get in like this and I'll light it and put a little bit of yellow flash in behind and try and make something kind of cool. And um, I was like, yeah, and I, and I set it up and unfortunately it needed I was still on my speed lights back, um, using my speed lights then. And to make the picture work, because it was full daylight, um, I needed to basically hit them out on full power every time. And I was like, oh, I'll just, look, I've just got to go for it. It's the only way I can make this picture work. It was very, it had a very specific idea of how I wanted it to look. Anyway, so I'm sitting there and I'm ready and I'm ready and I'm ready and I'm waiting and I'm looking at the clock and it gets down to a, tw- a 25th minute of our allotted time. <laughs> And they're still wrapping up. And then the publicist says, and she comes out and she looks at the phone and she says, are you ready? And I was like, yeah, I've been ready. I've been ready for 15 minutes. I thought we were splitting this time up. And they come out. So and then, so you've got the, the, the dual thing of just, one, just shaking Dave's hand and just going far out. Well, really nice to meet you, mate. Not, and not getting too, you know, starstruck and the rest of it. And then getting them into position, they saunter in. And in the end, I'm left with about 90 seconds to do this picture. Yeah, I, was saying, I bet you got 60 seconds out of this. I was like, bang. And then I'm having to wait for the recharge on the, on the speed lights. Bang. Wait for the recharge. Bang. I ended up. And then the publicist goes, cool. Okay, cool. We've got to go. We'll get the next one. They could just get up and they just follow the publicist. And, and like, but, you know, that's not their problem. That's, that's just the way it is. And I'm just standing there afterwards and I was, I was like, Oh man, I, I, re- <laughs> I filed the stuff and, um, and the desk weren't super happy. I must say <laughs> they weren't super happy, but I was just like, you know, what am I going to do? Like sometimes you just, it just doesn't fall your way. And I was happy with the picture. I put it in there and, um, and I got a lot of support from my fellow photographers. I must say they were because they know what it was like, but the desk was a bit like, and I was like, of course I'd love to have given you more options, but I just didn't get the time, you know, it's just, I know. So that's the and that's the one thing that I find is just and what I've become better at since even that is that you just you just you're looking for quick options and then and then if you and then you can find that you once you've got that stuff you can start to push it with the publicist or whoever's got you can go yeah just just one more I just and then you just try and push it out really gently like really friendly in a really friendly way just to try and get more and more and more and. Yeah. Um, but yeah, dude. Oh, and, you're, was... and you're more and more is still only like two more minutes. Yeah, <laughs> it's not yeah, like it's, you're gonna yeah, get twenty more minutes. Like if we go it's, from one minute to four minutes, maybe it's it's not much. And that's the thing with like, um, so when I was in Vegas and I um, and I met you, yeah, that was for that was was it twenty nineteen? That was twenty yeah, nineteen. It was that was Volkanovski. Volkanovski was in the championship bout and then won. Yeah, yeah. and he beat him at Holloway. Now. Yeah. Alex Volkanovsky is the complete opposite end of the spectrum in terms of he is the most generous person with his time. And there's a the picture that I I, I, I kind of pitched this idea to his PR team about what I wanted to do. We've done Las Vegas strip pictures with fighters in the past and the rest of it. And I was like, that's you know, I think it's something different. And um, when I got to the States, I got off the airplane and they and um the, 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 the rental car was like this Ford Fiesta or something like that. And I was just like, oh, come on, man. I'm in the, I'm in, I'm in 
the land of milk and honey. I want me a V8. So I, so I, I was say, how do you not get a pickup truck, man? <laughs> well, yeah, that's funny. I've actually, I've just sold my pickup truck. I had a 77 F100 that I just sold actually. But anyway, um, I so I, over here, uh, I killed for a right-hand drive F100. Yeah, short wheelbase forward drive. That was cool. Oh, my um, but anyway, I, I, I so I, I rented a, a Dodge uh, Challenger and I was just cruising around in it. And it was so nice. And then, but I went out past because we were staying at the Red Rock um, Hotel, okay. and I went out towards those mountains. I just sort of took a bit of a drive. There's those Red Rock Mountains, I think that's what they're called. And I thought, man, this could be a cool backdrop. But how am I going to get them to come out here? And I just, but I pitched the idea to him. I said, look, you know, that, this will look really cool, and you know, it'll be like just this, this the, the Red Rocks in the background, and they and they were really cool about it. And now it's, I ended up. The, you know, the main when you're on a way job, you basically you've got to try and supply a couple of like a do up that is like a, a really spectacular do up before the fight, so that will run maybe on the Saturday paper because they usually the, the fights are usually Sunday here. No, maybe it was for the Sunday. It was actually for the Sunday paper, so it runs in the morning. The fights usually happen here about two or three o'clock in the afternoon, so it works well with the, with the paper, and and then just some fight stuff. So they're your main missions. And so I did ended up doing two do-ups with him because he was just so generous. I was I did one that I set up also. Um there's a there's a museum in Las Vegas that has all the old Las Vegas strip signs. I forget oh, yeah, what they're yeah. called. Yeah, it's like and a neon I, museum or something. Neon museum, yeah. And I was emailing yeah. them before I left and I was like, you know, can I bring this Aussie fighter in there and just fight and just shoot? And they were really cool about it. And I and he so he turned up there you know, Aussie flag, all that kind of stuff. And we did some nice do-ups in there. And then for the second one, I wanted a bit, a little bit diff- different and this one at the, at the Red Rock Mountains. And, um, and they were good about it and they were really cool. And this is like a day before he was supposed to fight and he came out and he was doing Superman punches on the, on the side of the road for me with, with, with this backdrop. I was like sweeping the road down before he got here, before he got there because I was like, if there's any glass or anything here and he cuts his oh, foot no. the day before his fight, can you imagine? <laughs> I remember like we were we were like ringside and and we met and we were next to each other and it was UFC 245 I think yeah. and uh we were hanging out and you know we'd start talking and and then you're like talking about this and I'm like you did what and you're like yeah oh, did I tell did you, these yeah. crazy portraits and I'm like and I think you showed them to me then like cuz you weren't really covering the other fights you're kind of like just warming up hanging out and meanwhile I'm sitting there frantically yeah, going crazy 20 pictures per round and I'm like and then you were like, yeah, you show me these pictures. And I'm like, he let you do this? Like, it was so sick. I was Yeah, so you never get that. You never get yeah. that. But, but Alex, Alex Volkanovsky is just, uh, just, he's just such a great guy. He understands it. He understands it. He's not phased by it. He's just, he knows it's part of the game. When you get sports guys, like I, I had to do a picture yesterday of, so there's this, the NRL here, which is like, you know, our version of rugby league. Yeah, and there's a journo who's doing a a, a piece on the strongest guys in NRL because it's a pretty battery sport, you know. You would have seen yeah, it. Pretty, I mean, a, a few guys. Tough, man. It I is mean, pretty like, tough. It is pretty tough. And a few guys have tried to come over and do the NFL, but I think then they realised that I don't know. I still think NFL is just, NFL. Uh, NFL players are just mutants. I mean, they are. They're absolutely. so big. They're so Mate, big. Mate, unbelievable. I tell you, I, I went to a couple of years before I saw you in Vegas, I went to New York with uh, Rob Whitaker and, okay, yeah. and when he was on top 
and he didn't fight. He was there for it was a GSP versus um, anyway. Um, so I was just over there just to follow him over. And actually, the pic the picture that they wanted from that was him kind of ringside. Um, see who he's going to fight. Yeah, it was would have been GSP, I guess, in the end because he won the fight. But also to do this do up of Rob Whitaker over uh, looking back from Dumbo across the with the New York skyline. Oh. And yeah. with him with the, with the belt on his shoulder, and I was like, "That's their do up." So like like the Volkanovski was the the Superman punch with the mountains in the background. This one was Rob with New York in the background, and he's top of his game. He's got the belt on. It's like, "Come for me!" That kind of photo. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah. we can do that." Took all my lighting gear. <laughs> he turns up like he turns up an hour late. The um the the sun had well and truly gone. I just wanted a little bit of sun if I could have got a little bit of sun, but it was. Pretty much, it was dark, which by New York standards is still there's a little light, there's ambient light there. But and he turns up. Yeah, the places head- to get stuck after sunset. New York City is not the worst. Yeah, right. And I'm just on this random hill, kind of next to that that bridge. I figure what bridge it is where you're at Dumbo and you're looking out. And he and he <laughs> and he turns up with with his uh, with his manager, and then in head to toe black for a start. So he's like. <laughs> You can barely see the guy in the background, and um, and they didn't bring the belt, and they didn't bring the belt with them. And I'd got on the plane with them, and he was had the belt, and it was like, yeah, got the belt. I was like, yeah, cool, we'll do the photo with the belt. Yeah, yeah, we'll do the photo with the belt. <laughs> and I was like, so you turned up dressed in complete black, no belt. Anyway, Perfect. I love Rob. He he's great too. Actually, Rob's become a lot lot better as well. He's um he's starting to get on to the, the the media side of it. It took him a while. He, he Like in those early days, he just didn't want anything to do with it. But these days he actually, um, he co-hosts on, um, on, on, a, on a, a fight uh, show here and he's a lot more savvy and he recognizes me now when we go to, if we ever go to the gym and stuff like that and see him for a do up and he's like, hey man, how are you doing? And he's, he, just, he just gets it a bit more. But this, this picture I did yesterday, so there's this player from the South Sydney Rabbitohs Who's they reckon is their strongest player, and the the picture is him bench pressing another one of these guys. Cookie, his name is. He's like a he's a quite a, he's a smaller guy. He's one of the faster guys, but he's um, still he's a decent sized guy. And it was him bench pressing the photo. So I sort of got above, and I kind of worked it out. And they're at the end of their weight session, and they're end of their training session, and all they want to do is go eat. They yeah. do not want to do photos. And NRL players are notorious for that. They will go, you'll you'll do a couple of test shots and they think it's already done. And they'll say, we're done, we're walking away. And it's like, no, dude, that was a test shot. Now we're doing some. <laughs> so anyway, I get them and I literally, I think I got three or four frames of him in it. They're, they're fun photos. They'll work. They're fine. They're like, I, 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 got, I, got, I got a shot that I'm happy with, but I would have liked to have done a couple of different um, um, setups or angles at least because I shot it from above so you could kind of see both of them. and so. I wasn't shooting right up this guy's clacker, and um, <laughs> and and then and Cookie's like looks at me. He said, How, "How's it look? How's it look good?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, it looks really cool." And he's like, "All right, see you." Like, Bye. And they just they just they just walk off, and it's like I'm left there going, I, 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 I. and it's like they and I get it. Like they don't want to stand around doing photos at the end of their training session and their weight session. They just want to eat. There's plates of food I saw in the corridor waiting for them: chicken and eggs, and they just want to go do that. But it's just again, it's that thing. You just got to, you've got to be on it. You got to get it. And this is the same with three-year-olds. Whenever I've had to yeah. go photograph a family or whatever, if you don't, yeah. you got to. They're, they're like celebrities. They give up. They're, they're done. They're done in like 
You get three minutes with a three-year-old. Tops. This is the best. Yeah, this is that's the best analogy ever I've ever heard for photographing famous people. Is it's basically like toddler photography because so, yeah. you're wrangling them and they're just not really paying attention. They're kind of there, like, oh, you want me to do this? Okay, okay, I'm gonna go over here now and just. See, this is the other end of my job. Is like a couple of weeks ago, I had to go photograph the front page. Uh, a front page cover photo for we have this thing called the Easter Show. It's a big, the Royal Easter Show, and it's uh, it's a big show where the country comes to the town type thing, and they have a massive show with animals and produce and the rest of it. And it's a it's a it's a staple of the Sydney calendar of the Royal Easter Show. It's a big show. It's big, and so they want a front page for the the guide because the Daily Telegraph is like a partnership is a is a media partner with it. And they sent me out there, and I've got a. Uh, I have to do this cover image. This is the, this is the non glamorous side of this of this job. I have to do a cover image, and they've given me some talent. I've got two baby goats or miniature goats or whatever the hell they were, <laughs> a three year old and a six year old, and the six year old just didn't actually know how to smile. I had to teach him how to smile, and the three year old needed therapy after every frame. Because she was just melting down after every. I mean, it was just the money. It was. I was just sitting there going, "Yeah, you know, like." But but then you know what? It's a, for me. That's like I'd still go into every job going, "I'm going to get a frame out of this. Like this sucks, but I'm going to get a frame out of it." And I and I and I did. And they got one, and they they cropped the the non smiling boy out. <laughs> and I got a. I kind of. I managed to get a frame where. Um, the girl's kind of got, got, got hold of this three-year-old kid's got hold of this baby goat and it actually looks fine. And it's, you know, look, and it's not going to win any awards and it's not going on my Instagram. <laughs> but I was like, you know, thank God I got a frame out of that. And, you know, that's, it's, it's, and that's the thing with the newspaper stuff. It's, man, the, the, the UFC stuff is like super fun and, you know, you get to do some really cool stuff. And then, but the daily stuff that you do, just that, the grind, that, that, You've just got to just suck it up and you got to get into it and and get the best picture you, you can out of these situations. Yeah, I like I, I was never really a staffer. I was an intern for a bit and a part timer. And I remember hearing that lesson real early that just like you got to bring back something. You can't you can't yeah. ever just you can't run. A, you can't run an empty frame, you know, in a paper. Um, speaking of starting your career. So doing the quick math, you start mm. in Telegraph at 30. What happened before that? How'd you get into this world? I don't even know how it works in other countries, really, because like here we got these like pretty prestigious photo schools. A lot of people kind of churn through those or go to a journalism school and you end up at a paper. Um, how did it work for you over there? Um, so I I think high school, maybe I started to develop a little bit of a um, a um, an interest in it slightly, still not amazing i helped establish a dark room at the high school and dabbled a little bit there and kind of got to um got to the end of school the last sort of year of school and i was always a pretty average student and um but then but mom and dad were like right well um you better decide what you're going to do because dad's got a job in thailand and we're going to thailand for three years so what are you going to do <laughs> So I was like, "Oh, okay, all right." Pressure's on. <laughs> Shit to get off the pot, bud. Like, where? Yeah, well, because I'm the youngest. To live next month. Well, it's like I'm the youngest, so my sisters were way gone, and they were just like they they just wanted me gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is like, okay, you're 18, you're finishing school. 
it's we're out of here and i was like oh, yeah i get that i respect that for sure and i was like well, what can i do and i just um and um we decided that you know i thought i'd probably do a visual arts course and just majoring in photography and so i kind of um put a little portfolio together of some stuff and um my mum drove me around the state and we went we applied for a, a few different universities just to do a visual arts and I ended up getting into my top choice, which was uh, at Sydney Uni, which is um, at the time it was called Sydney College of Arts. And I did that for two and three quarter years. I kind of um, probably wasn't in the ready for it as, an, as a, a school leaver because it was very conceptual. It was kind of more what you would call maybe fine art. Yeah. And coming straight out of high school, just my, 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 I think my head was in that space, you know, and I was, I struggled a bit. That's a hard place to be at 18 or 19, even if you are ready for it. I mean, without being, I went, I graduated from RIT at like 26, and I was really grateful. I was a couple of years older when I got there to like such a, such a good university because at 18 mm-hmm. or 19, I would just been full of BS. And I yeah. don't know if I would have had the, the, the ideology or the, presence of mind to like explore some of those ideas and topics no um, that's right in art classes yeah they really wanted to push that side of things and some of the work that i did was highly analyzed and now if i think back about it i think probably my lecturers were trying to find some kind of meaning in what i was shooting where um there probably wasn't i was always just into just aesthetic that if it looks good i like it type thing and in the end, that ended up being the downfall because I had a bit of a um, my final graduating piece um, was just uh, this kind of this concept of this picture of my then girlfriend. I did this picture of her um, in the studio, and it was really nice actually. And um, um, and I you know I had this idea of making boxes so that you know it was in, you know this is nineteen ninety what is it like three so. It was, you know, it's not, not, not exactly cutting edge, but I just, I had this idea of where you could see her and you couldn't see her and it being a little bit 3D and all that. But anyway, it didn't, it didn't fly. It didn't fly with my lecturers and they failed me. Um, but I'd already decided that um, at the end of graduating, I was going to go to, um, I was going to go traveling. And so I basically, they said, well, you've got to repeat it to get your degree. And I said, well, I'm not. I've already booked my ticket and I'm working my ass off. And I was really disappointed. I was, um, I felt a bit, um, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a great feeling. I got my sisters, have all got their graduating pictures on there on the wall and there's there's this gap where mine should be, I suppose, <laughs> you know, not the mum at no, but, you know, it wasn't like mum and dad weren't, weren't waiting for it or anything like that. square but. on the wall in Thailand. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just, um, yeah. So I, um, anyway, so yeah, I didn't end up finishing that course, but I made, you know, one of my most enduring friends there. I've actually, I, you know, that's that. And so that was, that was really cool. But then I just went traveling for, but very disillusioned. I didn't even, I, I didn't even take a camera with me. I went traveling. We I went from Buenos Aires to Vancouver in eight months, mostly yeah, overground. Yeah. I, I had 5,000 bucks. And I took, geez, I would have taken, did I even take a camera? I didn't even think I took a camera, man. I was just like, you know what? Screw photography. I'm, you know, yeah. It's not for me. Three years of it. Actually, it actually really put me off. I was like, eh. and so yeah. I just went traveling and then, um, and then did that and then came back and just worked sort of 
you know, Joe jobs, dish pig, working in kitchens, all that kind of stuff. Ended up going so back overseas. A very art degree uh, kind of jobs. like working Yeah, 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 <laughs> totally. But then went back overseas in about, I think it might, might have been about 96. And then um, I ended up getting a job in a photo lab. Um, and this guy like taught me how to print basically in a, in a, like where you would go to for your one hour photo, right? Yeah. And I did that and I did that for however long we were there, like, like a year or so. And then I came back and I just, um, to Sydney afterwards and I just, uh, applied for a job in a photo lab in Sydney and got it and worked there for about six months. And, and then there was a, a, a pro lab that was down the road from this kind of one hour lab and they came up and they basically, I mean, to say it was headhunted sounds like what a load of rubbish, but he was like, do you want to come down and run the lab for us? Um, because your printing's really good. And I was like, yeah, cool. So I moved, so I moved to Goodman's, what was Goodman's and I ended up running their pro lab. And so that's how I ended up meeting professional photographers because they were all wanting to get their film developed there. And I took time and I was on, on their work and, um, I printed it really, really well. And, um, that's how I ended up meeting, um, my friend Cameron Bloom, who was starting out at that time as a freelance photographer. And we just got along really well. I loved the way he shot stuff. He was, he shot a lot of events, uh, PR style stuff in Sydney. And, um, and we got on so well that he would just take me along on jobs sometimes. He was like, what are you doing tonight? Do you want to just assist me? And it was be assisting. It was like, just go, go and just hang yeah. out with him basically. We got a lot of days where I have those kind of assistants. Yeah. Like, yeah man, you, come hang out. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't paying me. I was just, he was just like, just come along. And so I did. And then I met, um, and through that he, because he was covering all these events in Sydney back in the nineties, there was money still. So then, Events were huge in Sydney, like having launches for stuff for like premium brands. Everyone was doing it and spending a lot of money. So they wanted good photographers and all of it. Um, and so I'd go along with Cam and just help him out. I ended up meeting this guy called Anson Smart, who is now a, a – um, uh, he's a, a, mostly inter, in interiors and architectural photographer. Okay. And, you know, we got along a bit. And he was, uh, he was assisting, um, a, um, uh, an advertising photographer in Sydney who was just crazy busy. And he was like, I don't know, I can kind of keep this up because I'm knackered in the evenings. Um, do you want to maybe do this? Like I'm doing, so he was doing socials for Harper's Bazaar magazine and for like the two back pages of, you know, socials for Harper's Bazaar. And so I met the then socials writer for Harper's Bazaar, Laura Brown who is now, bang, you go on her Instagram. Just She's in New York just killing it. She's like editor of InStyle magazine. She, she, man, she knew what she wanted and she went, she just rocketed up. Man, her Instagram's like full of her hanging out with Helena Christensen and all these major stars now. She's just like next level. Dang. But anyway, she, we, we got along really well. And so I got that job. Um, uh, but the trouble is I needed a camera. Um, and so God bless my, uh, my, my, my dad and my mum. They were like, like, they came around for dinner one night. And I said, look, you know, I might have this opportunity to do these social pictures for Harper's Bazaar, um, a little bit on the side, you know, but I don't really have that much money at the moment. And, and they were like, well, we'll lend you, we'll lend you some money. And I went out and bought my, my first Nikon F90X with an SB800 flash. And, and then <laughs> bang. And then so suddenly I was out there and I was just, 
photographing this stuff for Harper's Bazaar, but meeting people and just being out and about. And, and then Cameron wanted to not do so much event stuff and he was pushing more into weddings because they were super lucrative and he loved doing them. And so there was opportunities um, and all the PRs had already met me through Cam and so they gave me a go. And um, so I started sort of picking up work doing that. And so suddenly I was shooting, doing the stuff that Cam was doing, shooting events, basically covering events for like, you know, all these like Louis Vuitton and Chanel and meeting all the, and all the PRs really liked me. And, um, and so I was shooting these socials. Um, and there was a lot of socials, but then you're covering all the other events as well. And then there was this uh, photographer called Robert Rosen, who was like, the kind of social photographer of Sydney, I guess, like, I don't know. I was trying to think of a, an, of an equivalent, like of a New York guy that would be doing all the socials. It's like, he's almost a personality in himself. Yeah. And we got, we, we got along really, really well, but um, he liked to go away in December and January. He likes to go to Bali because that's what he does. He likes that. That, that was his two month break from work. And he was oh, like, nice. do you want to, do you want to fill my, um, do you want to fill my gap? I do stuff for the Sunday Telegraph. I shoot for the Sunday Telegraph. And I was like, yeah, sure. Cause December, January are notoriously quiet here. Everyone goes oh, yeah. away. It's summertime. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, a bit, bit extra cash. So I'm shooting the events and then I'm doing some stuff for the Sunday Telegraph on the side. And then I did that for, I did freelancing and little bits of them for two years, for two summers. I did stuff for Sunday Telegraph and then, um, and then eventually the, um, the picture editor at Sunday Telegraph kind of, he said, oh, can you come in? Can we just want to have a chat with you. And I came in and he was like, mate, we really like Robert, but your, your stuff is just a little bit better than his. And um, I kind of feel like maybe his time's run up, but I think he wants to go anyway. And it was so, um, and so I just, um, I took Robert's job and that's um, kind of, you know, geez, I hope he never hears that. Because uh, I, I think the, the way he wanted to, he, he had his pride too, and I think he wanted to feel like more it was there that he was leaving. Yeah. Um, but really, I mean, he was um I mean, he was using this little instamatic and he was he was such a character, man. He was like if if he turned up to your event or your party, you knew that that was the cool party in town because he'd just been doing it for so long and he'd photographed so many well-known people and he was a character in himself. And yeah, no disrespect for him because he was he was he was he was he was really quite a character, but I think they just wanted someone who they could maybe have to, to do some other stuff as well, and that's how it ended up working. So, I um I was still shot parties for for the Sunday Telegraph. Man, they were doing four pages of parties every Sunday, four pages worth of. I mean, it was such a big thing back then. It was like two thousand, the early two thousands, and it was all about social. I mean, it, it was this is before social media, right? So everybody yeah. was looking at the paper. People love to look at this. Girls love to look at girls and boys. Boys love to look at girls. So it was like there was four pages of these glamorous people. I was going to like three or four parties a night. I had actually had a, there was a time there where I, I ditched using a car. I just had my single speed pushy, push bike and, and, and my gear on my back. And I would just be cycling around Sydney to all these events because they were usually all in a sort of 5K radius where in the, in the city. And in, in all the really cool restaurants and event places. Yeah. And I would just speed around because you didn't get long. You know, I had four parties to cover and they were all six to late. So you just got to be bang, 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 bang. And it was really cool in the end because all the bouncers started to know me, all the PRs knew me. They were always super happy when you turned up because they were like, okay, we're getting in the Sunday Telegraph. And at that time, 
that meant something because yeah. because of pre-social media. You, if they were in the paper, they knew that it was the biggest selling paper on a Sunday and that was bucks. They'd done their job. PR had done their job, client happy, everyone happy. And so they'd show you around the room and you'd get all the, and, and it was the toughest job in the world, man. I had to go into a party and photograph the, the best looking people in the room. And it was <laughs> like, not, not hard. So it was really, and, and, and again, a great way to meet people. Cause I'm a pretty social guy, as you can tell from the way yeah. I'm just rambling. And, um, and it was a good way to, and it was a positive way to network as well. And um, so what it all wild. What a wild thing to like cover in my eyes. <laughs> like I can't fathom. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah, what'd you do? Uh just you know, rode around Nashville between a couple bars and a couple parties are going on and kind of hit this one a little bit yeah. and that one a little bit. Then I posted it all on Instagram for the Sunday morning wrap up. Like, uh, I know uh, it was it was my start. It was my it was my that was my foot in the door. And um and eventually they started using me to cover other stuff. And they realized that I could shoot. And then it became less and less socials. And then I found some, a guy, a really nice guy, um, who calls himself the French photographer on Instagram. And he's such a lovely dude and everyone just really likes him. And he's, I think he's French Polynesian. And, um, he was, he was freelancing and out just shooting parties. And I was like, mate, do you want to do this for, for these guys all the time? Because I'm, wanting to move on i wanted to move away from the parties and he picked it up and he was and he smashed it and um and it, which was great for me because then I, they didn't bother me with that anymore and they started using me for news and then they offered me you know um a proper kind of staff full-time job um a couple so a couple of years after i started really and um and then it's been that sort of ever since really and um and then that's when the steep learning curve started and you know going out to start start shooting all sorts of stuff what a wild way to get into a paper like that is just yeah. mind-blowing to me to be like oh how'd you get into the paper oh just shooting parties with yeah. rich and famous people and big money events but it was cool that you found a way in and then continue to develop and hone your craft and showing them other things um did you have any experience doing like the news and the other stuff or in college did you kind of take that away or were, or Nothing. was it Okay, yeah, I was gonna say because it was no. like sounds like you hadn't really done much of that, but no. probably news newspapers in other parts of the world work different than ours. Like in ours, the lit portraiture and the uh, you call them do ups, but like a feature photo, mm. like those things are things here, but not like they are not like the amount you do. I remember that's the wildest thing when I started following you is how much like lit portraiture you do. I love it. I really love that stuff and they know it. And so they try to give, you know, and, and the, and most of the people that are left at the paper are really good at doing it because that's, um, yeah, that's what they want. It's a, it's a, it's a skill that just takes a bit of time, you know? And, um, totally. Well, I think what's interesting is like here, what drives most papers is sports, right? right. Like almost every yeah. paper that still exists, like whether it's a, high, like a little paper with the high school sports or a big paper in a city, like sports is, sports would be the thing you have to do. Like you right. have to be able to shoot sports pretty much anywhere. Now, New York, LA, stuff like that, you'd be different, obviously. DC being very different. But mm -hmm. like as a whole, if you went to average paper in most cities, like, you know, you're going to cover the NFL team, the NBA team, baseball, whatever. Like that's going to be such a core of what a staff photographer does yeah. in some regard. Yeah, I've, I know I have shot a bit of sport, but they generally use... Um... 
uh, now that I mean we've all got passes for for the NRL and the and the um and the AFL, but they they just generally use the Getty guys. And there's um so there's a photographer that um, the paper still uses quite a lot of his stuff, and his name's Phil Hilliard. I would definitely give him a follow if you you look him up. He is um a multi award winning photographer that um man he does some really really great stuff and he's and his setups his do ups were really great too and I kind of I, I saw what he was doing and I, I kind of um a couple of times I I went along with him on on stuff I was just like, do you mind if I just come along and I'm you know I'll, I'll just carry carry stuff help help set it up I just wanted to have a little bit of a sneak peek at how he did things um yeah. and uh, he was he was really cool he was very supportive with that um I mean to be fair there's there's um pretty much everyone that works uh, at the paper now and, 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 you know, someone like Phil, who's, he's only, he has, he's only not been working at paper for a little while. And another guy, Brett Costello, they, they were, um, they were all really, really good at doing, uh, at doing do ups. Um, it's, it's just, it's a real, if you can, if you're able to do it, it's, um, it's just an extra, you know, bow in your, in your, in your or arrow in your quiver or whatever they call it because it's, yeah, yeah. um, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of, you know, just watching those guys, I learned quite a lot, you know, from that. And um, and then just getting the right little, finding the right little bits and pieces that you want to use. So, um, uh, my, like, I became really, really good friends with Speedlights. Um, and, I, you know, a lot of people, I know some photographers who are amazing who are petrified of Speedlights because they like to use uh, natural light as much as possible, um, which, uh, which is, you know, which is just the way they work, but I just had to quickly become, uh, really, really, uh, good with speed lights and just using remotes and just using lots of speed lights. And so that's why I like to work. I like to really light something. And, um, I did in 2013, I decided that I would do, and I thought I was pretty good at lighting. And in 2013, I decided to do a, um, a short cinematography course because I thought maybe that would be somewhere where I wanted to go, like a road that I would want to go down. And so I applied for this. Uh, there's this um, the Australian Film Television Radio School afters in Sydney, which is a very prestigious um, place to, to 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 go. I applied for it. I put in a portfolio and um, was lucky enough to get accepted. I think it was a eight nine month course. It was a cinematography fundamentals course. It was called. I was really, I was super stoked to get into it. And, um, and gee, gee, don't you learn quickly that you know nothing about lighting? <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth, man. Like you, I thought I learned a lot about lighting in college and photo school. And then like, I went on like one film set or video set that had like lighting people on it. And I'm like, wow. Like, yeah. You go, Oh, and I love that. Yeah. How does it, oh, this is not outside. This is in a box in a room and you may look like it's sunset. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm an idiot. <laughs> so that, that was, that was, that was really cool. It was a really good, um, it was a really good, uh, course. I kind of figured that maybe it was somewhere like a little path that I'd like to go down. Cause I've always been a huge movie buff and, um, and I was like, oh, maybe that could be something that rather than the still, uh, still photography. Um, and, um, uh, and while I was doing that, I made a, a really good friend of mine, Ash Boland, who's a director here. He does lots of super amazing stuff on Google, that guy. Um, he he was shooting a um, 
he got the chance to shoot on a really small budget MTV Exit Foundation. They they do these little bits. They they basically they give a director a song and they have to make a, 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 like a, a short a, a video that goes to the song that is um, that is topical to what the the Exit Foundation was um, uh, trying to communicate. So for this one, it was child labour, and so you come, so he come up with a concept for, for shooting, and he just gets a bunch of people in. They do it. He had. Um, a cinematographer called Lachlan Milne, who's mate, he's just gone on to do awesome stuff. Um, he he was a cinematographer for Minari, you know, the film that, were, mm-hmm. that won a few awards, a couple of, and he's currently he's he's been doing for the last few years all the cinematography on Stranger Things. Dang, dang. So <laughs> and he was nice enough to let me be uh, be camera. Yeah, just hang so, out and help. Hey. So that's another thing where, you know, like I wouldn't have got that without Ash. He was just, we were really old mates and he was like, you know, you're studying cinematography, you know, he's, he's, he's a red come and yeah. do, do B camera. And I had these people. I got, hold, I got the $8 people. budget. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh mate, they had a full, it was a full set of people. It was, um, mate, you watch this, you watch it. It's called, um, it's a simple plan. This song oh, saved yeah. my life on MTV exit. This song saved my life. Simple plan, a simple plan. And yeah, we, sh- we shot that in a day in a warehouse, uh, literally a block away from my, the, my new, the, the, um, the, the, the uh, newspaper's office actually in the middle of the city, like Surrey Hills. And you would not believe that it was filmed here. They did such no. a bang up job. It was amazing. And um, it was really, it was a nice feeling to be a part of, a collaborative team, you know, which is what filmmaking is all about, right? It's not, and I, and in, and then I went on to kind of struggle with that a little bit as well. I've become so used to shooting on my own um, that, uh, that that almost, I I mean, I may, I admit, I I wouldn't rule out going in that direction, going in that direction again, but I do feel like um, even with like, jobs like a, I shot a freelance job and it was just for these friends friends of mine who are website designers and they needed some kind of cool sort of headshots of this company and you know they they want you to be tethered and they you know and they want to see what you're shooting and it's just so weird because when you're shooting news daily news you know you shoot people and you look at the back of your camera and it's your and he, and you know that okay yeah I got it and I know that I'm going to put it into I'm going to, I might sprinkle a little bit of photoshop dust over it later and I know how it's going to look and you're just the one that sees it <laughs> and yeah, i still get yeah. a, i still get a little bit like you know with the fashion stuff and all or or a bit where something's tethered or, or i did some bts on um on a couple of advertising shoots where you've got the the, the the you know the production tent and then the creatives tent and they're just looking at what the production people are doing and then there's the kind of, this of weird and then a and then someone from the creatives will wander over to the production and and there'd be this weird thing about, you know, so you've got a bunch of people over here criticizing or pulling apart what these people are doing. And I, I, that just really, um, gives, it just, that, that really kind of just fulfills me with anxiety, just the fact that people would be judging me <laughs> yeah, what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, well, it's yeah. not finished yet. I haven't finished it yet. <laughs> I assure you it'll look different. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you it's going to look so much better when it's done. Oh, dear. Um, throughout your career you're like you're continually grinding and working hard to try to get 
to the next thing has been like the whole narrative through this whole story. It's just like, yeah. other, like you kind of left school and took a break. And it almost sounds like that might have been the best thing for you because I think it, you know, yeah, I think a lot of kids I meet are like finishing, these kids all like talk to, they're like finishing school or in that late stage of school and they feel very confused and lost. Mm. And it seems like you like hit that wall and then we're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta like walk away from this. And then you kind of refound it again, right? What were some of the, what was like going through your head that like kind of well, relit that fire, I guess? Um, I guess, but it was also, I wasn't really good at anything else, man. And it was a thing. I suppose like, I'm not super smart and I just, I, but I know, you know, I know how to make a picture. And so that was just kind of it. You know what I mean? Like it was just, I know, but I just had to find where I fit into everything. And so with Cameron, again, Cameron Bloom, he took me to Paris. We went in, where was it been? Paris would have been about 2000 and maybe one, um, he needed an assistant again in inverted commas. He just really yeah. wanted someone to hang out. And yeah. we, and, and I, and I was like, yeah, man, I'll come to Paris with you because he was went to fashion week and we were covering two Australian designers that were showing at fashion week, um, Colette Denningen and Akira Isagawa. And so we and we went over there and I assisted him on a few things. And then I found myself, um, at uh, Akira Isagawa's like showroom, he's got this, be- this this beautiful Parisian terrace. You know those, you know what all those houses look like in on the streets of central Paris. You know those already. I've been there many buildings. times. Yeah, and by that I mean Kentucky probably looks just ah, like uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he has a showroom there, and so um, outside of the uh, main show, like he would for buyers that have like buyer shows. Yeah. And um, so they have these, uh, so they have uh, models to still model all this stuff and do like small runway shows for people that are the serious buyers and the rest of this kind of stuff. And um, so Cam was there and he was photographing like hero stuff and I was kind of just in the background just doing my own thing and I was shooting all black and white and I had this Polaroid land camera that I was kind of experimenting with. And... um, and I just, I ended up, Akira just like kind of said, oh, you can, you know, if you want to take um, somebody and just to, to do some other stuff, that's fine. And so this girl was this beautiful girl. She was like, she didn't speak English, I didn't speak French, but she looked great in these <laughs> out in this, in his, in his clothing, like his, his designer clothing is beautiful. And I had like an hour or two hours with this girl and we we're just finding these beautiful spots inside this house and just in this little courtyard and the sun was going down and I suddenly put the, the, the T-Max 3,000, three, whatever it was, 3,600, and I was shooting stuff with her and she was leaning back on this balcony and there's a Parisian street lights and, man, we've got some beautiful stuff. And it was like, and then I came away and I was like, yeah, that was cool. And then come back to Sydney and I'm like, well, if that didn't spark the fashion side of it, then what, what's, what's, what, what do you, what do you need, man? Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'd been assisting guys, um, uh, fashion photographers in Sydney doing little bits and just setting up stuff and assisting. And it just never floated my boat. I just was like, nah, you know, like I always found it was a little, you know, and again, I know fashion photographers tend to get put on this pedestal, but it's a bit like, wait, do my job for a couple of weeks. See how you go. Like, I'll take pictures of pretty girls all day. And because, you know, like, you know, with, with respect, you can't go wrong. You know what I mean? Like, it just, you could, uh, it's half the job done you, for you. Can't, 
you can't make a bad picture of like a model or a celebrity or like you know you, you see these guys or gals and it's just like yeah you could probably stand any which way you want wearing whatever you want and it, it'd come out like it'd figure itself out and not to downplay it because you know look it's still, still going to come up with concepts i suppose and stuff like that and there is still there's don't get me wrong there is beautiful fashion photography there certainly is but I'd, I'd like to see them get a three-year-old and a six-year-old and two baby goats and make a front-page picture. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, under pressure. That should be the test. We should go to Fashion Week and be like, yo, y'all, we got some goats and we got a three-year-old and a six-year-old and the three-year-old's having a fucking breakdown right now. And you got to make some pictures. And you've got 90 seconds. And also the people judging them have been doing this for 30 years and they fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> so just so it wasn't it just it wasn't ever a kind of a yeah a, a niche that I was going to go in that I that I kind of felt I wanted to get into really I think and I love doing the news I, I do like doing news it's um it is different every day and um I like the challenge of going into different situations and trying to make things as uh the great Brock Lesnar <laughs> said making chicken salad out of chicken shit which is basically <laughs> what we do most days that's very right yeah that is, <laughs> i heard that him is... say that once and i was like mate you've just described my job <laughs> <laughs> it's so true i mean that is news photography in a nutshell right there it's just like getting handed the worst bag of lemons and being like all right you got no grinder you got your bare hands and you got yeah. make lemonade but i do like, remember i there's one event that kind of turned the tide for me big time and actually probably um, helped establish my reputation a bit more at the paper. And that was, um, geez, Christ, what year was it? There was, the, there was a terrorist uh, a, a kind of uh, event that happened in Sydney called, uh, at the Lint Cafe. I don't know if you remember it. There was this um, guy who was a little bit unhinged and he took a whole bunch of people hostage in a cafe in downtown Sydney. Yeah. It was like 2009 or 10. Yeah, about that. And I remember turning up to work nine o'clock in the morning. I was coming up to, to, um, up to the picture desk to say hi. And, um, Nicola, who was on the desk, she was like, Oh, Hey, Dobby, hey um, looks like there might be a holdup at this, um, at this cafe down, down in, um, down at Martin place in Sydney. Do you want to just quickly jump in the cab and run down there? I was like, yeah, cool, cool. And so I, you know, I got in the cab and I, I was coming on a parallel street and I suddenly saw these kind of SWAT team cars and lights going everywhere. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is going down. This is awesome. I jumped out of the cab and I just ran towards where the Link Cafe was and I put, put my bag down and I got, I got my, you know, my, my 7200 out and my other body and I was, I put everything on on high. I put I put I put everything. I put I put my camera on aperture priority, and I just zoomed up the the um, ISO to like sixteen hundred. I was like, because suddenly I had a bit of an adrenaline dump because I just I ran into this situation, and all of a sudden I'm like, holy crap! There's detectives and cops with guns drawn everywhere, and I was like, and I just run straight into it basically. And so I had this adrenaline dump. You know, I started getting the shakes because I was like, holy crap! This is really going on. So I just bumped everything on high and I was like, I don't want any, I don't want, I want everything to be sharp. I don't want everything. <laughs> my camera's going shooting super fast. So just everything is in focus and there's no yeah. shake. And, um, I just got s some pretty cool pictures, I guess. I got some pictures of just, of, of, of guys literally sort of turning up uh, to this situation. Um, 
And those pictures, um, and I filed them, I got them all, and I got them filed real quick. And the Daily Telegraph had not done an afternoon edition for years and years and years. Um, and it was such a massive breaking story that they did an afternoon di- edition and they used like all my photographs basically wrapped the paper. And that was, excellent. that was for professionally for me, that, that was a big, that was a big day because um, they were like, Richie can do it. You know what I mean? I was put into the situation and, and I managed to keep my wits about me. I had a bit of a shake on, but I was like, I could, I was still shooting frames and I got a pretty cool frame of, of um, just the of, of detectives kind of with their guns and there's a look of panic everywhere and yeah it was cool. My only regret is that I didn't push further through onto the other side because nobody got pictures from the other side because they 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 cornered it off really quickly and pushed everyone back real quick. All the media, but I I'd managed to get there so so quickly that I hadn't t- had time to do that yet. And if I'd have just gone a half a block further, I'd have seen around the corner and he'd had them. He'd had hostages holding up Islamic State um, flags in the windows, yeah. and only TV got that because it's right opposite a TV studio. So the the, uh-huh. the, the Channel Seven TV News had so they only had um, TV stills from that. They didn't have any actual f- photographer frames, which is I, I I kind of regret not pushing it a little bit more. But at the same time, at the time it was like. Nobody knew what was going to go on. He had a backpack. Everyone figured he had a bomb. Who knows what could have happened, man? In the end, I've got two yeah. kids and a wife. And it was just like, I, so I, I did what I was told and I got back. And I sat there on a 400 lens in the end. So that was how far back we were, we were pushed. But I, I could still see down the street. And the rest of the day was just shooting SWAT guys and whatever was happening. And at about like 8, 8 PM, they'd been there for, yeah, like, like 12 hours almost. And the picture desk was like, it was, still wasn't resolved. And we had other photographers in all different spots. And they were like, mate, go home, get some rest. Cause we're probably going to need you back here at 6, 6 AM. Cause it looks like it's going to keep going. And then, um, and then about 2, 3 AM, it all, it all, it all kicked off and they, they stormed it and they shot him. And um, unfortunately, because he he shot he he shot someone in the back of the head, and then he and then when the freaking SWAT team went in, they they, they there was a, they managed to fire on all directions, and one of the bucket bullets ricocheted and shot one of the hostages. So that was that was shit. They should have just they, or to be honest. I mean, that, that's a whole other story, but they they kind of ruined it. They they really should have let like a professional team go in there. Not, the cops wanted jurisdiction over it, and they fucked that up. Yeah, excuse my language. Yeah. But they might, I mean, I guess to, they probably don't have as much practice for those situations. I mean, that's a big deal in Australia, right? I mean, that it was huge. Does not yeah. happen as commonly. No. And so yeah. uh, what happened? So that all happened about, um, must have been about two or three o'clock in the morning. And there was a, a, a colleague of mine, two colleagues of mine um, were there. Uh, Chris, Chris, what's your last name? God, I've had a mental blank on your name. Sorry, Chris. And Adam Taylor, another guy who was working, and they were side by side on, oh, I guess they must have been 400, maybe 600 mil lens because they were quite far back. And they started evacuating, like some of the, some of the, um, no, not evacuating, some of the, the uh, hostages just took it upon themselves to just dash for the doors because they were like, this guy's getting, this is, this is coming to a head. And some of them managed yeah. to run out. And so those guys got these killer shots that ended up, I thought I got some good shots during the day, but they ended up getting like the shot of the event. You know how there's like 
generally oh, if there's yeah. something that happens there's there's one photograph that tends to kind of define it and yeah. um so those guys and they and it's this picture of this girl who's still got a waitress outfit on and she's just running and there's SWAT teams kind of helping her along and she's just got this look of complete panic on her face and it was a, like in the middle of the night killer shot looked great felt so bad for Adam Taylor because he's sending Chris McKean he was standing right next to Chris McKean but the settings must have been different and so um Adam would have been maybe just shooting on a slightly slower shutter speed and so his stuff just wasn't as pin sharp and it's literally standing next to each other and and oh, this is such yeah. an it's such an interesting lesson isn't it and Chris's stuff yeah. was pin pin sharp and went on to win awards and Adam's wasn't and didn't and I know that kind of that stuck with him a bit. I know that stuck with him because you know you've got to be ready in those moments, don't you? And you know, and that's no disrespect to Adam because you know no, geez, you never know not. when that stuff's going to happen. Yeah, I mean the the guy got a pretty iconic photograph himself sitting out the front of um, Karobakan Jail in Bali, where there was um, three or four Australian guys had been convicted of um, drug trafficking and they were going to be executed. And then when he went up there the week of their execution, the, the, he got flown up there and he sat in front of the jail door with a long lens. So he sat on a, on, a, on a milk crate with a long lens on a monopod pointing through a gap in the door where you could potentially see prisoners being taken across the courtyard. And he sat there for a good part of a week waiting to oh get... My. A possible picture of the last picture that we would get of this Australian guy who was about to be, and he and he got it. He got it. He got the last frame of this guy before he was executed. And um, yeah, that and so that, I, I I thought that was, like, was uh, mate. I thought that was such a lesson in patience and tenacity. And it only takes. Yeah. And he would have got. It would have been done. Gone. I was gonna say, yeah, I, I've I've waited for those frames. I haven't waited a week, but I've waited where you try to trap something where you're like, I think they're gonna come through here or whatever. Yeah. And it's hard, it's hard to wait a half hour. And the worst part is is if you're watching that slot in visually, uh you can't look away. Imagine you can you imagine? Like any he, so his personality just matched that. And there's a couple of colleagues that I've got that do that personality match what they do. There's there's another uh, guy that um he loves. He he doesn't care about getting up in the faces of people that are dangerous. He just it just doesn't phase him. Like he's done so much court stuff, and he's 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 probably been threatened more times than you and I will ever be. But he just doesn't care because you know well you're in the wrong, and you know I and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. So you know so suck it up, you know. So that that's kind of more like, and he just doesn't care. So he's um, although I've had to I mean like. I've had to be, become a bit used to sort of shooting a slightly more more kind of dodgy people because the paper is actually it has quite a, 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 a an obsession with um, motorcycle biker gangs and um, so because they control much of the the drug trade in in, in Australia I guess and there's a yeah. few biker gangs in Sydney that control a lot of that and they're very dangerous and um, I think it was two weeks ago I had to go to the funeral of one of them. He was the he was the head of the lone wolf biker gang, and he died of a heart attack in Turkey. Um, but they flew him back, his body back to be buried here, and they were like, "Go, shoot, go shoot the funeral." And so I'm sitting, and it's not the first time I've done this. So I'm sitting in the in the cemetery, like 
don't know, however, a few hundred meters away from where the where the where the burial is happening, and I'm shooting, and I'm sitting in the back of the car with a with a 300 mil lens shooting through a tinted window. <laughs> they have no idea I'm there, but it's like if they yeah. knew they were there. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a that's a bit of an adrenaline rush as well because you and you and you can just go, you can just spray across, and you can sit there and you just spray across all these guys. And because you you never know a who's next, b who's there. Like the crime writers will know, and so if you get yeah. framed, you have to get frames of all these people when they and they don't know it. And I had the guy they were burying. I actually got a photo of him at, arriving at court. I just got the email of the job. They were like, "Go shoot this guy. He's turning up to Downing Street to send a court. He'll be there at eleven because he's got to be there." And I'm like, "Yeah, cool." I've done people turning up to court a million times. And I'm standing there and I'm standing there and I'm chatting with a couple of photographers because there's all sorts of stories that are going on in Downing Centre Court. It's a big court and so there's all sorts of stuff going on any day of the week. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've got to get this guy. And um, and I'm standing there waiting for him to come up the steps. They have to come up this flight of steps. It's a classic courthouse. <laughs> we stand at the top. And then I get a text from the journal. She's going, are you at court? And I was like, yeah, yeah I'm just standing at the top. I've got to shoot this guy as he turns up. And she goes, do not photograph this guy close up you need to be on a long lens and get across the other side of the street he is super dangerous the cops know that he is responsible for multiple murders that he is currently they that they just can't pin on him because he's because he's he, and this was this guy this the head of this lone wolf bike gang and i was like <laughs> okay thanks for the takes thanks desk <laughs> thanks for telling me yeah. and so i was like don't try to die how am I going to do this? And so what, but what I ended up doing was not moving over to the other side of the street. I just put the, um, I put the camera on the, on my hip and I put it on silent and fast. And I just kind of guess. So I saw him coming up and then I turned my back to him and, and, and I just shot, I just went on silent as he was walking up the steps and, um, I managed to get it. Hey, I managed to actually get him in. I got, I shot quite wide so I could crop. And he, and he, and I was chatting to another, and he looked in our direction anyway, cause it was a cut TV camera, but he wasn't there for him. And, um, so I did it really surreptitiously and they, and, and managed to just jag a shot, you know, it's just kind of lucky, but it's just like, it was so good. Cause he would look almost straight down the barrel. I was like, Ooh. I'm so glad he did when I was shooting him. <laughs> this whole story is, is like, you guys, y'all's paper is like way more forward thinking with these super polished, crazy you know, portraits and feature stories and stuff that like we don't really newspapers here don't do as much, I would say. But then also like, right, nobody yeah. goes and sits around getting murders in courthouses though most days either no. anymore. I mean, like, yeah. it's so old school too. It's such a wild mix of like, in a it way newer like... than us and way older than a lot of American newspapers would cover stuff. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, our newspaper is very much into that. They love crime and it's, it, it made it gets clicks because everybody's fascinated with it. Everyone's fascinated with, um, with the dark side of, you know, life, you know, and, and, and organized crime. And one of, you know what, check this out. When I was shooting socials, this is goes right back to when I started shooting socials, I went to a party. It was at the at the Sapphire Suite. It was the launch of this this club up in Kings Cross, which was at the time a fairly seedy part of Sydney. It was where all the strip joints are and all the rest of it. Lots of um, lots of bikers gangs own bars and all that kind of stuff up there. But this seemed like a legit job. Like it was a big. It was on my list, and so there was heaps of there were there were kind of 
lots of Sydney B-listers going. So, and there'd be lots of pretty girls there. So like, go check out this party. And I was like, it was just one of like three in, in the night that I was doing. And I rocked up there and I got, I got in and there's, you know, it's, it's a kind of, it's, you know, it's a launch of like a nightclub. So it was kind of loud. Blah, blah. And I'm just doing my usual. I'm just trying to find, you know, attractive girls and what sort of to do. And then this guy grabs me by the, by the, by the scruff and he's like, come over here and you'll photograph this bloke. And I go over and there's this guy in a white suit and he's, and he's partying. He's kind of doing a bit of this, you know, he's kind of dancing a little bit. And his mate goes, here's a photo. And I just went, oh, God, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. And I just went bang, bang, bang of this guy. And I was like, yeah, thanks a lot. And thought nothing more of it. Went back to the office. I was filing. I filed the picture of him about a, what happened? Like Maybe it was about two years later. There was a massive brawl between two bike gangs at Sydney Airport. Huge brawl. Guys in hospital, really bad. And one of the ringleaders was this guy that I photographed at that party. <laughs> and dancing and in his white suit. Dancing in his, and his white suit and his big collared shirt looking like something out of Saturday Night Fever. And the picture editor of the, of the Daily Telegraph, I, I came to the office and he came over, he saw me in the lifts and he came over and he said, mate, he said, and I, I'd seen he, he, this picture ran on the front page and it was big. And the picture is him. He's got a he's got a cocktail in one hand. He's kind of dancing like this. He's got a big smile on his face. He's got his big one percenter gold ring, you know, like they all wear the bikers, the one percent. And it was just it was a cracking photo, but I just thought he was a nobody. You know? So you know, I didn't kind of think of anything more of it. And he was like, "Mate," he said, "They and I was still shooting socials a little bit of socials at the time." And he was like, "Mate, never underestimate what you do." He said because. Who'd have thought we are the only publication in Australia that has a picture of this guy? And then he ended up getting um, assassinated about two years ago. He was coming out of a gym in Rockdale, and another b- bunch of guys just—they um, just jumped him, getting into his yeah. car, and they put like you know twenty shots, handgun shots into into his car, and he was just killed right there. And again, what, what's, what's the photo they bring out? It's that photo. It gets used in there. They actually did a piece on that photo. A journalist interviewed me about the moment I got this photo because he ended up being such a personality in Sydney. And it just, uh, so there you go. I guess that's another lesson in never underestimating. I think it was like what you said. I heard you say on your on, on a podcast, or I think it was with you, where you just photograph everybody in the, in, because you never know. When you, and it was like when they're coming off the field or whatever and you're just getting frames oh, of yeah. like rookies and stuff. You said that. And I thought, and, and that tweak with me, I was like, absolutely, absolutely, man. That's what you need to do. You have to photograph everybody because you never know. You never know what they're going to do. And this guy ended yeah. up doing all sorts of crazy shit and then get assassinated on, on a busy Sydney street. And we always had this great, this, this one great frame of him that I, that I got when I was just shooting socials and it was a throwaway frame and we were the only ones that owned that photograph, you know? So, yeah, there you go. What it's a funny. wild circle of a journey <laughs> we just went on. <laughs> oh, it's funny, Oh, my it? goodness. It is Somehow, funny, man. I have one note about bikers that I'm going to ask you my last three questions. But yeah. when I was in Australia, I went uh, probably eight years ago now, and I went to Tasmania. I've never been to mainland Australia. I've only been to Tasmania, which people from Australia think is insane. Um, but I've only been to Tasmania and they wouldn't let me into some bars and stuff because I'm tattooed and it was right. because of bikies. They're like bikers. Yeah. We'd call them bikers. You guys call them bikies. Mm. Right. Yep. 
hundred percent. So uh, wild to me that it was like it was. I I remember like going to a bar and they were just like, "Yeah, you can't come in, mate." And I was like, "What?" And they're like, "Yeah, your dad is." And I'm like, uh, "What?" No, I like have an art degree. Like I assure you, whatever you're keeping out, it's not me. Is that like, right? Nah. Yeah, yeah it's like, pretty. Australia can be pretty conservative that way still. Yeah, that's it. It's um, I think I, f- I feel like maybe that's tattoos and the like are getting slightly more, but it's just it's associated with it. And those guys, they're yeah. all they're all like that. They're all fully tatted up and with your beard and all the rest of it. Yeah, they're, they're yeah, they're, yeah. They're, there's a, there was a, there's a restaurant just down in um, a really ritzy part of Sydney that I, I had to go down and just shoot a sign out the front of the other. Couple like a couple, couple of months ago because it's um they've obviously you know a lot of these guys make a lot of money right through drugs they make so much money they're all driving I mean they stand out like dogs balls because they're all driving top of the line I like the the Mercedes AMG C sixty threes you know they all drive those yeah. things like you can't have those things because they just look like a drug deal and yeah, uh, but the they, they all like twenty four dollars a gallon yeah there, yeah yeah but they all want to kind of kind of go to the suburbs where there's a bit of ritz because I kind of feel like they probably kind of think like it's, it's a it's a massive middle finger right to all the people that are kind of down there and there was a sign kind of, one, kind of love I mean yeah, <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but there was a sign on the door saying no no designer uh no no like sport designer clothing because they all walk around and bloody you know adidas stuff um oh yeah and and, uh, and no tattoos and they had that thing so yeah they, they've done their own they've done their own um little dress code there so um yeah goodness but um you know so we'll wrap this up i got three last questions and we're gonna hop over and do a little patreon real yeah, cool. quick about some portraiture so if you're a patreon supporter come check that out um but the first one is what is a lesson or something you know now that you wish you learned a lot earlier or something that you wish you knew you know when you were starting out take opportunities just take opportunities that come your way and and try and back yourself i reckon uh i reckon my career could have easily gone in a different direction if there was a couple of opportunities that I'd taken, and they're not, and I'm not saying this in a regretful way because that's because that's not how I feel about it. But I think um, there was a couple of opportunities that were given to me, and especially on the the film side of things, uh, where people ask me whether I could do something, and then the end, I've just chickened out. I've just gone, ah, look, I just, I've in, I've inside, I felt like, ah, oh, I can't, I just. I didn't have the self-confidence to do it. Um, and I, I think in, in, in the long run, I should have probably just done it because um, the fear of failure is, is, a, is big in all creative fields. But I think the people that succeed uh, actually kind of just put that to one side and go, well, if I fail, I fail. And then I just move on. But I've given it a go. And um, you've just got to give things a go. And so there was a couple of things that I would have done. I think I chickened out on an opportunity to go to um, uh, to Buenos Aires on a job um, with my mate um, Ash that I, I mentioned before. They were shooting um, a Coke commercial, and there was and it was going to be really heaps of skaters. And there was an opportunity to go do that. And I was just felt a bit intimidated by the whole thing. And he was like, "Come out, come over. You can sleep on the floor in the, in the hotel." And I should have done that. Should have done that. I, 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 and, and, you know, not that, you know, it, it makes any difference, but, you know, I just, I, that's the piece of advice I would give is just, just, just try it. I mean, 
and I've got friends who have been given opportunities and and they didn't do a good job and that's you know and it didn't lead to anything else and but you know if you get an opportunity you smash it how good's that like and then uh so just take those opportunities and and in general I have um you know you can tell from this that a lot of my stuff has come through meeting people and building relationships but but then backing it up with producing the goods and so you know I've been I've been lucky but I've also managed to produce the goods and do to do the job do the job well I've got a good work ethic I don't give people crappy pictures ever every job I go to I I I um I I do my absolute best I put 100% into it and um uh I think yeah if you can combine that with just 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 not fearing failure I think that that that's um but you know that's a hard thing to tell somebody to do because everybody feels failure fears failure right you know no one wants to yeah, be, right. look stupid but um, you'll never look stupid if think if you give it a really red hot go, as long as you don't just take the piss. And yeah, you know. yeah, I love that. Um, the second question is: when you go on a shoot, what's like something you got to have with you? Maybe it's a piece of gear, maybe it's an item, whatever it is. Like, what's that? What's that thing? It's just got to be with you on every job. Um, it's hor- it's horrible to sort of be tied to it, I suppose, but probably flash because. Not every time you're going to get good natural light. You just, you know, it'd be lovely to shoot natural light and it'd be lovely to shoot moody. But the Sydney Morning Herald, like that, that paper, they, they, they can be more moody. Those guys um, that shoot over there, the guys and girls that shoot over there, shoot real moody stuff and um, it suits the paper. It suits, but for my job, I can't do moody, man. I got to be able to, and you know what? If you, if you want to shoot something, uh, Moody, make sure you've got the other one in the bag first. So you can give them the option of Moody, but as long as you've done the so I you know I and I and I'm not afraid of flash, and I know that I can make things look good with flash, and I know that um you know that 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 picture that I did of Alex Volkanovsky that was like what was that that was four flashes on full power. I mean, if I'm, I've actually updated a little bit since then, but you know, when I was traveling, that's, you know, all I, all I, I just chucked in my speed lights and they did the job, you know, four speed lights on tripods, full power, him backlit with the sun, bang, you know, and it looks great. I'm not gonna be able to do that without flash. I couldn't have achieved that picture without flash. So I, I, I love flash. I'd love to be, I'm working on a, a personal project at the moment that, is the complete opposite because I thought I'd want to challenge myself and do something completely opposite. And that I is only that. natural light. So I'm working love on it. a portrait series at the moment, which is um, straight out of Richard Avedon's, um the American West, you know, when he was, um, he went around oh, yeah. taping up a white backdrop shooting. I mean, he was large format, right. And just photographing working people of, of where, what States were they? Yeah. Uh Texas. Yeah. Yeah, kind of Texas and what I mean the most famous my the most famous one was like the beekeeper. Right. Uh, and then there was like the kid with the rattlesnake out in Sweetwater, Texas. They had the, the, Just had beautiful the rattlesnake stuff. roundup. Yeah. yeah. So I, I this this project I'm working on at the moment, which is taking me a long time. Um, but that's okay. Um, that'll be all natural light. I was like, I'm gonna step away from what I I'm comfortable with and I'm gonna do natural light. But if you ask me if there's a piece of kit that um, I can't do my job without, 
it's it's just a straight up freaking speed light or whatever we've got i've got a i got a well we've got access to the pro photos um and i've been using those quite a lot i, I kind of went off the pro photos for a minute there because i was finding that um if you're shooting doof, 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 doing lots of frames the power output was different whether they've just taken a hammering they've probably just taken a hammering because it's pool gear <laughs> yeah, so yeah, probably yeah. just not working optimally yeah no, what, but um but they, yeah but whereas with the speed lights they would just man those things they take a beating and they just come back for more just i love those speed lights um I know. but you, you know when for the outdoor stuff when you you want to shoot like if you're shooting on a bright sunny day with a big blue sky or whatever and you still want to make something cool moody um not moody i've just said moody not moody, but just well lit <laughs> yeah um yeah yeah the pro photos are pretty are pretty cool for that so um yeah so it would be flash <laughs> sick all right, last question, then we're going to hop over and do some Patreon stuff. Sweet. Uh, so the people that listen to this, it's a pretty wide group of people from full-fledged professionals down mm. to college students and those learning. What's like some lesson or some talking point or something that you would really like to leave them with or something you'd really like you know, to kind of have everyone here? Um, I don't undervalue yourself, I would say, especially if, if you're freelance. That was another thing that was tough for me was, man, I, I love going out and, and I, in the early days going to, to shoot events and stuff like that. I remember the feeling of being in a taxi and I was going to, I was on a night where I was shooting two events freelance and I'd shot the first one and I was a taxi. I was in a taxi going to the next one and I had my yellow Pelican case with my, with my little bit of gear in it. And I remember actually getting little butterflies in my stomach going, wow, I'm doing this, man. I'm doing this. Like, this is cool. I'm, you know, I'm making money doing this and I'm, and I'm enjoying it. And the problem was with that was that I didn't charge enough. And, you know, because you, especially me, you know, it goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, backing yourself and, and, you know, just, just value what you do because you take for granted that other people can't do it. And if you've got this gift where you can do it, that's, that, that's really great. And, um, and there, was a, there was a period in Sydney there for a minute where there was lots of people undercutting each other just to get work. And it doesn't help anybody. And there was an actual mate of mine, he, he went to college with a guy who was an advertising photographer. He, he moved to the U.S. because he was sick of the, uh, the, of the way the business was here where people would undercut just to get work because there wasn't because there's just not the budget and there's not the stuff to go around here that there is in the U.S. And also he felt that it was just a different um, philosophy to, to it over there. So, you know, that if you, you were trying to undercut, undercut or just charge like, you know, not enough and the client would often go, yeah. I mean, is this guy going to do the right job? You know, like, you know, they, they, they felt more comfort in going for the guy that was more expensive because they're like, well, he's more expensive because you get what you pay for. So, um, and that, 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 so that, that's a big thing. I would just say just to, um, just don't, don't undersell yourself. If you're good, don't undersell yourself. A friend of mine, he's turned his business around. They've, uh, this partner, him and his partner have got a design business and they went to see uh, a business coach. And the coach was like, you're charging this for that? And basically, they turned turn their business around, man. I'm not kidding. Um, yeah. They're booming right now. And they've got too, so much work. They, they have to, they're employing people right left and center. 
And it's because it, it was this catalyst of going, no, I'm going to value my products. And people will pay for it because they know that it's um, that it's a good product. And there is look, there is not as much money around as there was. You know, budgets are tight. You know, photographers are cut from newspapers because there's no advertising dollars around anymore, and they've got to find other ways. I mean, there was a real there was a moment there where I thought we'd all lost our job, and I know that they that that, that was a, a stark possibility because they were changing this. So newspapers are dying. It's all about online, but everyone gets their news online, and no one wants to pay for it. And so yeah. advertisers are like, eh, we're pulling money out because we're paying you for nothing because people aren't looking at your website anymore. That has started to start this change. I think people are starting to get used to paywalls. Yeah. I think um, especially the Telegraph here have, have really they've gone on with it. I think we've been lucky because it's a news court backed a little bit. So there's a little bit of money in the in the kitty to sort of just, you know, <laughs> to uh, let's should we say just weather the storm, that initial storm. I think it might be coming round. I feel like, I don't know, mate, I, we're talking now. I could be tapped on the shoulder in November and I could be going straight back to freelance. You never know. Media is a, it's a, you know, it is a, it's a great industry to work in, but Jesus can be, it can be cutthroat, right? That's right. So, um, yeah, this, this, this podcast might be my epitaph. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you do, I hope you choose America where we can hang out and you can, I'd love to come back. Oh man, it'd be great. I'd love to come back. The US is I love the US. I feel like you would just love Las Vegas. Like you would just live there and just just absolutely love it. In the mountains oh, yeah. and the national parks nearby and then just wild craziness happening. Yeah, it's um, cool, man. And so like I'm just intrigued by where you live as well. Like I'd love to come visit through there and I reckon you have to. when they when the when the kids finish school, they're a couple of years off finishing high school and then okay. me I think yeah, me and the, me and the quaff might, might, might bring, take a little trip over. Let's do a southern road trip, man. I'll, That'd be awesome. I'll make you gain 25 pounds on barbecue. <laughs> I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll hire a Cadillac and we can go for it. Yeah, you go <laughs> vegan when you get back to Australia to like clear out the cholesterol. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, last question is how do people find you, man? Where are you on, on the internet and your Instagram and all that jazz? Oh, I just, yeah, at Richie Dobson on Instagram and, um, apologies that I'm just not very, I'm not particularly prolific. I, it's one thing that maybe, um, I need to be more prolific on, but there's stuff on there. You can get an idea of what I do. Um, um, I'm, I'm on Twitter, but to be honest, I just, I, I, I don't post a lot of stuff. I'm just retweeting heaps of stuff. Um, I actually, and retweet, retweeted a lot of stuff. There was a, um, there was a, the, one of my favorite photos from when the, you had the fires in California. There's a, there was a photographer who works over there, um, for the, um, it must be for the LA times. And he got one, this incredible photograph. You probably have seen it of this. I'm sure it's like jetliner just dropping on uh, that the um the the fire retardant yeah and it's like it's it's orange sky and mate he, i forget what his name is now but he was just doing some awesome stuff so i tend to be more retweeting and maybe it'll be on my instagram but um yeah i, I don't yeah. put too much on on that i should i should be more prolific with it and i i aim to be but i'm very fussy about what i put on there then generally but um, you'll get you'll get an idea. There will be a there will be a dump when I'm I, I'm going to um, hopefully um, launch this little uh, this little project that I'm doing. I want to get it get it out there for November to start. So I'll I'll have a whole dump of this little project that I've been working on. So hopefully there'll be some stuff. But that's I mean that's that's miles off. I'll try and I'll obviously put some more stuff in there before that. But uh, yeah, that, that'll be it. I, will, I love it. 
Awesome, man. Well, we're going to hop over and do a little uh, Patreon talking about portraiture. So if you're a supporter on Patreon, go check that out. But as always, man, thanks for taking the time to share some info. Brett, it's been awesome. So good to see you, man. Thanks for listening to Reciprocity Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe and rate us five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found value in this podcast and want to learn even more, head over to patreon.com slash reciprocity podcast to support the show.